Hello, this is Michael James King coming to you from beautiful round town, USA, where a little boy was afraid of the dark. One night his mother asked him to go out to the back porch and bring her broom. The little boy turned to his mother and said, Mama, I don't want to go out there, it's dark. The mother smiled reassuredly at her son. You don't have to be afraid of the dark, Johnny. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you and protect you. The little boy looked at his mother real hard and asked, Are you sure he's out there? Yes, I'm sure. He's everywhere, and he's always ready to help you when you need him. The little boy thought about it for a moment, then went to the back porch and cracked the door a little bit, peering out into the darkness, calling, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please bring me the broom? <laughs> this is yet another edition of God's Love Club, the podcast that talks about God's divine love and what it means for you today. We, as always, are giving a shout-out to spirit-led believers everywhere and greeting them with a holy kiss. We confess Jesus Christ as our risen Lord and Savior, thanking Him for His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, and we look forward to His soon appearing in the clouds. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask Your Holy Spirit anoint us so that we may speak Your truth to those who have ears to hear in this generation. We ask that You open their hearts and minds to receive Your revelation, that will go deep into their souls, and that they'll realize the momentous time that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, my co-host with a spirit-led most is the lovely Christy Smith, the darling of Roundtown, USA. Christy is happy and well-adjusted in beautiful downtown Roundtown, where she believes without limits, prays for her family and friends unceasingly, and treats everyone with loving-kindness. The title of this podcast today is God Teaches Our Hands to Love. Hi, Christy. How are you? I'm doing really well today. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Got a good night's sleep. It's a beautiful day in downtown, round town, as usual. Springtime is here. It is. And we are so thankful that God is warming up our fair countryside. Yes, really. You know, about the end of the winter, you're thinking about becoming a snowbird because it gets <laughs> so cold. But the sun always shines around here, so that's a plus. That's true. It's never just dreary and cold. It's right. sunny and cold. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about how God teaches our hands to love. Now you have a scripture you want to read us today. Yes. We were talking about love and God teaching us to love. And the interesting idea came to us that in Psalm 144, Verse 1, David writes, Blessed be the Lord my God, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And I think it's interesting that in David's day and in the work that God was doing through David, training him to war was important. Training his fingers to fight was important for God to accomplish the Israelites taking the land and being the kingdom that he wanted. And now, as we're walking in the new covenant under the blood of Jesus, that delivers us from sin and death and destruction and instead sets us in a place where we have mercy and grace from God, what he wants to teach us now is to train our hands to love. And it requires training because we don't automatically love. We can love to a certain degree people that mean a lot to us or people that we're biologically connected to or people that come into our life and bless us in some way. We can love people in that way, but God needs to teach us how to love in the way that he loves because what we are supposed to be doing as the body of Christ right now is manifesting him to the world. And what do we manifest when we manifest God? Do we manifest legalism, judgment, criticism, separation, 
No, the nature of God is love, and Jesus came to bring people to him, and what God wants us to manifest to the world is love. In our generation, God is teaching our hands to love and our fingers how to express it. And God's original intent in the Garden of Eden was for love to be the atmosphere that we lived in. There was to be no strife, no struggle, no pain. It was always to be love, love to another person. And through love, other people would be born, and those people would be loved. And love would just perpetuate and expand and get grander and be a bigger revelation of God throughout eternity. In our day and age, God is bringing us back to that Edenic love, back to the garden. And he's restoring to us the true way to love that he made from the very beginning. And when we love another, it is not just supposed to be us loving another person. It is us plus God loving another person. And God teaches our hands and our whole body and our words and our eyes and everything about us to be a manifestation of his love to another person. And in this day and age, that is what God is going for. He wants people to love. You know, the whole hippie culture with free love, that was kind of almost a false move of love that was fueled by promiscuity and drug addiction. But what God wants to do is bring a pure and holy move of God that looks a lot like that, but without all the negative consequences and effects. I mean, many people that were at Woodstock, I mean, that is the seminal moment of their entire life. There was something that happened there that they have never matched in their entire existence since. And I believe that for a brief moment, people felt a unity and a oneness. Now, how they got there may not have been the best way, but they got there. Mm-hmm. And it impacted people so much that it informed the behavior of a whole generation. Now in our time, God is going to bring that kind of unity, but in a holy and pure way. I'm not saying that it won't be intimate. According to what we think is godly right now, this is going to look like it's a return to Woodstock. But it's going to be God. And everything that is being done is being done according to his Holy Spirit, because his Holy Spirit is in them, expressing himself through them, and they're loving as he loves. Therefore, when they kiss, it's not just a kiss, it's a holy kiss. Mm -hmm. When they hug, it's not just a hug, it's a holy hug. The presence of God is what makes things holy, my friends. It's not some purity that we achieve in and of ourselves. That's right, yeah. And how do we achieve that? Because the kind of love that you explained that happened in the 60s was not sustainable. No. It was dependent on emotions, it was dependent on drugs, it was dependent on just trying to act a certain way, and it wasn't sustainable, and it didn't always have good consequences. But the kind of love that God is leading us into is sustainable if we rely on Him. He trains us to love, meaning that we need to know something that we don't already know. Just like David had to be trained by God how to war. When David was going to war, sometimes God would tell him to stop. Don't go forward. Sometimes he would tell him to go forward. He would give him directions that weren't always the same from one battle to the next because God was teaching him how to accomplish the victories that God was bringing to him. It's the same way with us. We have to learn to listen to God moment by moment. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about following the way of love and then eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. The interesting thing about 
chapter 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians is that chapter 12 is all about the spiritual gifts that come when the Holy Spirit fills us. Chapter 13 is about the incredible love that fills us and flows out of us when the Holy Spirit fills us. Chapter 14 puts those two things in the proper perspective. Chapter 14 says, follow the way of love, live by love, and then desire the spiritual gifts. Well, why? Why do we desire spiritual gifts? To enable us to love. Exactly. We are given the gifts of the Spirit so that we can manifest God to people and in this world in a way that is profound and dynamic. When Paul preached about Jesus, it wasn't just his words that convinced people. It was the power behind them that proved that what he was saying was true. When Jesus demonstrated the love of God on the earth, he didn't just reach down and tell someone, I love you and God loves you. He reached down and touched a leper, which no one was allowed to touch, and healed them. It was a physical demonstration of the love that he spoke about. That's how God needs to train us. That's why we need to desire the spiritual gifts, because we're following the way of love. When you follow the way of love, you think of it like a stream that you're just following the flow of. You get in the flow and you go where it goes. And you have to be led moment by moment. Exactly. There's no natural reasoning through this next move of the Spirit. The next move of the Spirit is simply a move of revelation. And it's a revealing of who? Well, it's a revealing of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as God reveals himself to the world through us, we become love. And what he does is he expresses his love through us to those who need it. And it's not some cookie-cutter doctrine that we do exactly it's a very individually tailored love that the person that we're loving really needs it's god in us loving that person as they truly need Mm -hmm. and this is an effectual love this is a genuine love that naturally opens that person up to god they automatically trust you because they are made to trust god And when you manifest his spirit to them, they can open up areas that were never able to be healed before because he wouldn't let anybody near them. But they let God in you near them, Mm -hmm. and you love them through it. They receive healing. They receive a cauterization of that wound through the hot and holy love of God that heals them after years of suffering. I'm coming into a greater realization of what this really means. Take, for instance, if you have divine mates that marry. God teaches their hands to love. God teaches their fingers to love. What does that mean? Can you imagine as a woman being loved by your divine mate who is full of the Holy Spirit and God? I mean, this is every woman's dream, is to be loved Mm -hmm. by God so intimately that there is no difference between them and their lover. And this blows people's minds. But this was the very point of creation. God created man and woman. And he said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. But he didn't want them to do it alone. Where two or three are gathered, there was he in their midst. And when Adam and Eve made love, it was God teaching their hands to love. It was God manifest through their flesh that was loving both of them. Adam was loving Eve as a husband. Eve was loving Adam as a wife. And so you have the two things that God shows in the scriptures. You have God as the husband loving his church. You have the church as a wife loving her husband. Mm -hmm. And this is the point of creation. God, who is a spirit that fills heavens and earth, wanted children. But if there could be no God beside him... If he is alone God, how do you have kids? 
How do you have somebody that is like you? Well, you create Adam and Eve, who is made in your image and your likeness. You get them to procreate while you are in their midst. And the child that is born of that divine union is a child of God, which is what God was trying to demonstrate through the virgin birth and Jesus. Jesus is the perfect union of both man and God. And therefore, God was able to fill him with his fullness. And when you looked at Jesus, you saw God looking back. And as he was the firstborn of many brethren, he is the patterned son. What we are becoming, we are maturing into the fullness and stature of Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Well, it looks exactly like him. I mean, whatever he did, we do. Whatever we saw him do, we do. Whatever we are led by his Holy Spirit through his Father, we do. And so we are essentially Jesus 2.0. And as we love, as the Holy Spirit leads us, God is loving through us. And people are getting touched by God in a physical, real way that they can relate to. Who doesn't want to be hugged by God? Exactly. Who doesn't want to be kissed by God? Who doesn't want to sit down with God and have God patiently listen to Mm -hmm. their tale of how they were abused as a child? Who wouldn't trust God doing that? Exactly. This is what everybody desires, and it's exactly what God wants to give us. That's very true, and is something that has to only be done as we connect with God and are led by Him. We have to be led moment by moment. When you think about how the GPS in your car works or on your phone works, sometimes you can put in your destination, and if you zoom out, you can see the whole direction on how to get there. But when the GPS lady is telling you which way to go, (laughs) navigation lady or navigation lady, (laughs) when she's telling you where to go, she doesn't say, go straight 200 feet, turn left, and then go down two miles and turn right, and then go down another five miles, wait at the stop sign and turn right again. She tells you step by step, because if she were to lay out the whole plan, you'd turn off the GPS and then just go. That's exactly the way that God works. Well, not exactly. That's a picture of how God works. God wants to lead us moment by moment. You don't get up in the morning and have God tell you at 9 o'clock, I want you to do this, at 11.30, do this, at 2.30, do this, and then you just close the book and say, over and out, I'll talk to you again tomorrow, God. It's not a planned out thing where you know exactly what you need to do. You have to follow him moment by moment for a couple of reasons. One is because he wants that continual connection. He wants to be with you and lead you moment by moment. The other reason is because there are so many other factors involved in what God is leading us in, and he's allowed human beings to have free will. Sometimes the means to the end might change a little bit. He has a plan and a destination. He wanted to be the only king over the nation of Israel. He didn't want them to have an earthly king like the rest of the nations around them. But because the people made their own choices and they decided they wanted a king, he said, okay, we'll do that. And he worked with the plan B or plan Q to have this nation run by earthly human kings. But that wasn't his original plan. But still, his end destination will be met from what he had desired for the nation of Israel. It's the same way in our Christian lives. He may have a perfect plan on how he wants each day to go if everybody did exactly what he wanted them to do, but he has allowed us free choice. So if I'm supposed to go to a grocery store and have an interaction with somebody and give them an encouraging word, but that person or me decides, nah, I don't want to go to the grocery store today, because we have free will, we can disobey the promptings of the Spirit if we want to, and then someone else would need to show up and give that person an encouraging word, or I may show up and there would be nobody there that God wanted me to give the word to. Other people are involved in what we're doing in our lives, and so we have to be led moment by moment. We can't just have a plan that we follow and it's 
set in stone. God wants us to be able to just depend on him moment by moment, and that is following the way of love. I heard a story this morning about a man from Singapore who was driving down the road and listening to God, and it was about two in the morning, and he saw an old man kind of staggering on the side of the road, and God told him, pick up that man. God did not tell him what he wanted him to do with the man. He just said, pick him up. And he felt such an amazing love for this old man on the side of the road that he did. He pulled over. He let him get in the car. He said, can I help you with something? The man was confused. He said his son had left him alone. He's trying to get to the food shelter. And he didn't know where to go. The man that was driving said there were tons of food shelters around in Singapore. He didn't know which one this man was going to. And the man kept talking about this food shelter. They will feed me. My son left me. Take me there. They will feed me. And this man had such incredible compassion for the old man. The Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge and said, go to this particular food shelter. He drove directly to that food shelter. As soon as they pulled up, the old man recognized it and said, this is it. And when the man took the old man in, they said, oh, yeah, we know this man. His son leaves him alone, and he somehow ends up showing up here, and we take care of him. So the way of love was being followed, and then the spiritual gifts were given to enhance that love. Exactly. That old man experienced the love of God because the man driving yielded to the prompting of the Spirit to pick him up. He had compassion for him. He asked God to show him what to do, and God gave him a word of knowledge, go to this food shelter, and that was exactly where he needed to go. That's the way we're supposed to flow. But when the man pulled over to pick the man up, God didn't tell him exactly what was happening. He didn't tell him where exactly. he was going to go. He didn't tell him the end from the beginning. It was a moment-by-moment moment leading, prompted by love. What we experience is the love of God for other people, and that moves us to want to do for them whatever it is that God wants to do. Amen. You know, God teaches our hands to love, and that implies that we don't know how to love. And perhaps we've used our hands not to love in the past, and we need to be retrained in the way of love. You know, our body manifests our soul and our mind and our heart and our, our very being. We use our hands to express our will. And what Jesus wants to do is use our hands to express God's will. Yeah. And God's will is that we love one another as he loved us. And so when God is allowed to take our hands and use them as he wills, our hands are taught to love. Our hands touch our hands comfort, our hands help, our hands do things that are led by his spirit, and it's always a good thing. And when we allow God to live through us, others are helped in a way that we can possibly do in the natural. This is what it means to become a son or daughter of God. We do not live our own lives. We allow God to live his life through us. And we don't really know what that looks like because we've never really been there in totality. Jesus does things that always meet the real need. When you notice that Jesus answered the Pharisees and what they were really asking and not what they appeared to be asking. Exactly. Because he knew their hearts. And likewise, when God teaches our hands to love, he meets the real need of the person that may not be apparent to our natural man, because he knows their heart too. And this is a vital thing to understand that we cannot judge what God does because we don't know what he knows. Mm. And when we judge after the natural, we almost always miss it. All we have to do is listen to his spirit and trust him that he knows what he's doing. That's right. You know, Samuel in the Old Testament is a good example of what you just said. Because he knew God. He heard God's voice. He was the prophet to Israel at his time. And God spoke to him clearly and said, Go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be king. 
He could have said to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, find his youngest son named David and anoint him to be king. But he didn't tell him that. He just told him where to go and this is what you're going to do when you get there. And even though Samuel had a really tight connection with God and could hear him clearly, his natural mind sometimes stepped in the way too. When he went in and saw Eliab, the oldest son, and he was strong and he was tall like Saul was, Samuel's natural mind thought, well, this has got to be him. So he was going to move toward him to anoint him. And God said, no, that's not him. Oh, okay. Well, then in the next one, surely this one's him. God said, no, all the way through all the sons that were gathered. And God said, no, it's not any of these. But Samuel's natural mind started to take over until he really yielded to the spirit. That's what we have to do. No matter how tight we are with God and how much we think we hear him clearly, our natural minds can always intervene and always take us off track if we don't go by the spirit. Finally, Samuel understood, no, it's not any of these. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse said, well, I've got my youngest, but he's out in the field. Doesn't even give him a name. He just says, my youngest. Samuel knew that was him, said, I'm not even going to sit down until you bring him. As soon as they brought him in, God said, yep, that's him. Anoint him. So it's an amazing thing to think that we can hear God clearly like Samuel did, but we can also take over. It's like the GPS telling us, go 200 feet and turn left. And then you go 200 feet and turn left and you go, I got it from here. I know how to get there. I got to go right and then left again. And maybe that's not the way. Following the Spirit of God is a moment by moment thing. And you mentioned the sons and the daughters of God. It says in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. It's not just anyone who claims Jesus. We all belong to God as his creation. Those who are saved become the children of God, but the ones that are really his sons and daughters are the ones that are led by the Spirit. Why is that? Because those are the ones that are going to accomplish his will. Those are the ones that are going to go forth and manifest on this earth what God wants to manifest. Exactly. If you're a sheep, you hear his voice. Yes. You know your master's voice. Another master you'll not hear because you're not familiar with that person. There's a fundamental shift taking place in the body of Christ right now. We are moving from a doctrine-based church to a revelation-based church. This is so significant that people don't really grasp what is taking place right now. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody talks that they want to go back to what the early church had in the first century after Christ rose from the dead. But they really haven't understood what that means. And it's actually happening right now, but we're leaving the apostasy that we went into after the apostles. Because after the apostles, who were led by the Spirit, passed away, we fell into a doctrine-based church. We read what they said. We tried to do what they did. And we left off following God. We became followers of Paul, followers of John, followers of Peter. Their perfection, or lack thereof, became the glass ceiling that nobody could go above. And we failed to realize that they didn't have the scriptures at the time that they wrote the scriptures. All they had was the voice of God leading and guiding them every moment of every day. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening now is that we're going to move past that glass ceiling into the actual territory that those men and women of God trod before us. We are going to begin to hear the word of God for ourselves and become those living epistles read and known of all men. And we're going to do our own acts, but we don't need to follow what they did because the person that led them back when they lived is now leading us in the day that we live. That's right. And we need to understand that God 
always intended mankind to live by every word that proceeded out of his mouth at any given moment of any day, because his word was always supposed to be like manna from heaven, which came fresh every morning, and you ate what you needed, and you took what sustained you, and then you trusted God for the next day. It was supposed to be new every morning. And God is trying to get us out of that bondage into the newness of life, which is leading of the Holy Spirit. That's right. That was his intention from the beginning, to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We make that so complicated. We think it's such a hard thing to hear the voice of God. You know, there are conferences where people go, how to hear the voice of God. There are things that people consternate over. There's steps, five steps to hearing the voice of God. That is to unlearn our natural-minded thinking because the reality is we are created to hear God. And if we just exactly. listen, we do hear him. His sheep hear his voice. When we become his sheep, we hear his voice. It's a matter of believing that we are hearing him, that he is speaking to us. That when we are saved and his spirit lives in us, it's inside of us. The voice of God rises up from our spirit and we know what it is to hear him. His sheep hear his voice and we won't follow the voice of a stranger. If we would just relax and be still, we'll hear him. Believe that he is speaking to you. Believe that you can hear him, and you will. And follow the impulses that you're getting that you believe may be God and see where it takes you. It's like following a butterfly through the woods. It should be that easy. You keep your eyes on God and on the Spirit of God. You keep your sensitivity to the Spirit of God, and you just follow where he goes following the flow of a stream. You get into a boat and you just flow down the river or the stream and it's an easy flow. You just go where it's taking you. That's the way listening to the voice of God and following the flow of his love is supposed to be. We're supposed to just be connected to him and then be caught up in him and hear him. And we can hear him. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you can hear him. Many of us heard God before we even became saved because exactly. he was drawing us. We are created to hear his voice. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's how it works best. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole thing that God is going for in these latter days is to fill us with his spirit until he overflows in us to others who are then filled by his spirit, who overflow to others. These waves in this pond type effect that he wants to have through his divine love. And teaching our hands to love means to allow him to love those around us as he chooses. Mm -hmm. We simply need to get out of the way. Doctrine binds. Doctrine is the problem of the Christian church. They think it is their salvation. They think it is the thing that will commend them to God, but it isn't. It's actually the thing that's hindering them from actually becoming the bride of Christ. You have denominationalism. You have fractious doctrinal beliefs. I mean, Stuff as silly as when the rapture is going to take place, as opposed to some other person that believes there's no rapture. I'm an amillennialist, a premillennialist, mid-trib. These tribs are just tripping them up <laughs> to where they can't fellowship they can't based fellowship. on some doctrine mm -hmm. they hardly know anything about. Mm -hmm. But unless we have God's perspective, unless we have the revelation of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, we just slice and dice scriptures and become these ridiculous camps so we can't fellowship. The solution to that is get rid of your doctrine. Start doing what God is leading you to do any given moment, and then you'll find agreement. Because there's one Spirit, mm -hmm. and He'll teach your hands to love, whereas doctrine has 
taught your hands to divide. Exactly. And what identifies us as Christians to the world? What did Jesus say about that? It's not our doctrine. It's not what we believe. It's the love that we have for each other. That's what identifies us to the world as Christians. So as God is teaching our hands to love, how does that happen? Well, I think it happens in three steps. The first step is that we experience God's love. We can't demonstrate God's love, and His love can't flow out of us until we receive it. And so when we receive the love of God, we understand how much we mean to Him. We feel our worthiness. We feel an appreciation for ourselves, for God, for the people around us. All of a sudden, our perspective changes because we feel the love of God. It's like we always give the example of the garden hose. God wants to use us as a hose to pour water on that garden and that water is his love, if we are that hose, we're constantly filled with that water because we're pouring it out on the garden. But we don't lack anything because we constantly have a flow of water coming through us. That's the way we learn to love. We have to connect to God. We have to know him. We have to experience his love. We have to have that baptism of love to really be able to express it. And when that happens, then things change in us. Our mouths that used to be critical and mean and angry instead will speak words of love and encouragement. Our hands that maybe used to hit people will instead hold them and touch them and caress them and give them love. Our bodies that used to be given over to sin and flesh and anger and criticism and hatred for people all of a sudden become vessels that God can use to hug someone and hold someone and spend time with someone and eyes that can look lovingly into somebody else's eyes and demonstrate the love of God to them. We change because when the love of God fills us, you can't help but be changed. Our bodies are created to be filled by God, and God is love. And the interesting thing is that when we really connect to God in that way, and we become aligned with Him and His love for us, I believe we see not only just emotional changes and mental changes, I believe we see physical changes. I believe that a lot of the reasons that we have physical breakdowns in our body is because we're disconnected from that love. When we can really connect to God and his spirit fills us and his love fills us, the cells in our body just soak it up and we become more and more of what we're supposed to be. I believe that's why we're going to be in a glorified body when we get to heaven and the new earth, because we will be so filled with God's love that everything that permeates us will be love and God and our cells and everything in our bodies will function the way that they're supposed to. So once we experience that love, then we start seeing the world the way that God sees it. So the next step is that we start manifesting that love to people. When we used to walk down the street and see somebody that was struggling and ignore them because we're all caught up in our own thoughts and our own problems, instead, as we're walking in the love of God, we see someone and God will speak to us about that person or put his love for that person in us, and then we'll respond out of that love. And then the third thing that happens is like it says in Corinthians, You follow the way of love, and then you eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. When you see someone that has a need and you feel God's love, you ask God, what do you want me to do? I feel such compassion for that person, and they're hurting, and they have a need. What do you want me to do? God will gift you with whatever it is. Maybe it's a gift of healing. Well, you pray for their healing. Maybe there'll be a miracle where they go home and they find a check for $1,000 in their mailbox. Maybe it'll be a gift of discerning of spirits where you'll be able to tell them, you've got a demonic presence on you, and I want to pray for you. Maybe it'll be just a gift of service where you'll be able to go take them to the grocery store and do something. All of those spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are meant to give us tools to love, meant to give us tools to be people that demonstrate God's love. And we'll see these things. If we connect to God and then we yield to that love and then we ask him for those gifts that he wants to give us, we'll start seeing manifestations of God's love everywhere. Exactly. You know, let me give you an example how what we are saying can be made into a doctrine and then used wrongly. (laughs) Oh, boy. When you hear us talk and you say, hey, that's great. God wants me to love. He wants to teach my 
hands to love. And you start doing it and it works and God starts loving people and great things happen. And then your mind thinks, hey, this is the way to go. But then it says to you, it's the only way to go. This is what pacifists are. They'll never fight anybody. It doesn't matter if their their child is, is being killed. They're pacifists. They don't do that. And that's not right. You don't let your child be killed by somebody who's aggressive and being wrong. I mean, at that point, if God wants to teach your hands to war and to protect your child, that's his desire then. Mostly, yes, he wants to teach your hands to love. But he can teach your hands to work, like he did of the artisans that created the temple Mm. in the wilderness. He can teach your hands to help somebody else that is tripped. You know, he can teach your hands to do many things. The fundamental thing here is that God teaches your hands to do what he wants you to do at any given moment. You can't let what we say or anybody else say become a method. We don't serve a method. We serve a living God who teaches us to do whatsoever he wants us to do when he wants us to do it with whomever he wants us to do it with. Now, we're pointing out that God wants to teach your hands to love. And in the main, that's the way to do it. But if you're a policeman and you have an opportunity to save a life by taking a life that is going to kill that other person unjustly, God's going to teach your hands to aim right. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself can be an act of love. Exactly. And so the underlying principle of the whole thing is that God teaches you to do whatever you need to do at the time you mm-hmm. do it. Now, because God is love, in some way, what he teaches you to do is love. Exactly. But it doesn't fit a certain mm-hmm. caste or category or methodology. It is whatever God says to do at the time. Now, we're pointing out to you today that God wants to teach your hands to love. And that, in the main, is what he wants to do. But how he does that, Mm -hmm. now that's open to question. Exactly, because his love is not really conceivable by us. Jesus was the manifestation of God when he was on earth, and he did everything out of love. But he went in and drove out the money changers in the temple and cleared it. And when he braided that whip, it wasn't just like it shows in the movies to knock the tables over. I guarantee you he whipped some people with that because they were not doing what God wanted to do. Was that an act of war? To some people, maybe. But was it an act of love? Absolutely. It was a love for God. It was a love for his temple. It was a love for the the righteousness of God to reign. It was actually a love for those people because they were being involved in something that was not pleasing to God. So we can't always define exactly what love looks like. We don't always understand exactly why God does what he does and why his love looks a certain way. But again, that's why we need to be led moment by moment because his ways are not our ways. And our understanding of love is not always exactly the way that God loves. We need to be able to let him show us and trust him that he is a God of love and everything he does comes from love. Exactly. Everything he does has as its origin love. And what I want to convey to you today is that you need to be next to God yourself. The reason that we talk the way we talk and share the things that we share is not because we've studied, not because we went to some fantastic seminar and learned something that you can't learn. It's nothing that you can't do or won't do. What it is, is simply getting near God Mm -hmm. and experiencing God. And how have we experienced God so that we can talk like this? We have experienced God flowing through each other. We are divine mates. We are manifestations of God's love to each other. And we receive God's love through one another. This is why the revelation flows. It's simply because we've been in the presence of God, just like the disciples were with Jesus. Mm -hmm. They said, wow, these are learned men, but wow, they must have been with Jesus. You know, they talk like they know God. 
And we talk like we know God because we've been in his presence. Mm -hmm. And what we're encouraging you to do is get in his presence too. And the way you do that, you start listening to his voice. And when God connects you to another human being that he's manifesting or revealing himself through, you allow it to happen. This is where God is dwelling in this day and age. He's not in the burning bush. He's not in a pillar of fire and smoke. He is not in the Ark of the Covenant. Though he's in Jesus, Jesus isn't here. So where are you going to find God? Well, you're going to find God in the person that he leads you to to be connected with. And when you find God in that person, he is going to reveal himself to you. And you will talk exactly like we're talking Mm -hmm. too, and Mm -hmm. even greater, because the revelation you get from that will be different than ours. Your revelation will be a different part of God. And it will fit with the whole, but it will be that facet like a diamond that you show forth that is a little bit different than the other ones. But complete body mm-hmm. of Christ-wise, we're going to have the manifestation of the sons of God. Exactly. That's what all this is going towards. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about our ministry in measure, and it's our revelation and our understanding of God in measure. And God flows through people to us. And sometimes it's just one. Sometimes there's two or three that you're very closely connected to and God will manifest to you in different ways. But the bottom line is we connect to God and his spirit and we connect to him and other people and there's truth that comes out and there's love. That's where we experience this amazing love of God most profoundly is when God flows through another person to us. There's two ways you can find gold in the mountains. You can spend years looking for it yourself Or you can have somebody who's already found it tell you where to look. Now, when you find that place and you find the gold, you're still going to have to dig it up yourself. But it cuts years off the journey if somebody just tells you where to dig. And we found gold, and we're sharing it with you. Freely given, freely received. We want you to have it too. Now, you got to do your own work. you got to get next to God yourself. But we're saying this is where you can do that. And this is where God is at this time in our history. Now, it will move on. God is going to restore Israel during the millennium. He is going to rebuild the temple. He's going to do the whole nine yards again with some minor variations, and God will be there at that time. But in our generation, at the end of the Gentile church age, God is dwelling in his people. And that is how he has chosen to manifest himself. And it's not a, it's not just a random no, Next. it's not. You are led by the Spirit yes. to connect to the person mm-hmm. who is led by the Spirit to connect to you. Exactly. And when that connection happens, it's profound because you'll end up with a trust with someone that you hardly know. Someone that hardly knows you will have an amazing love for you that you can't even comprehend. How can you love me like that? You don't even know me. You can sense them in the Spirit and love them with this profound love of God and have this trust. That's what the spiritual connection of God does. He draws us to people. God's spirit in someone else is drawn to the spirit of God in you as God leads, and you become a manifestation of God's spirit to each other. And there's tremendous encouragement and joy that happens in that. And it happens profoundly through different people in our lives and different seasons, but God is always wanting to minister to us through his people. And if we'll yield to him and listen to his voice and just allow his spirit and his love to lead us, I believe he will connect you to who he wants to manifest his love through. Amen. And when that happens, you will see God in a way that you never, ever thought Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I cannot convey to you through words how wonderful that is. Mm -hmm. It is beyond to have 
God manifest in the flesh near you in another person, that is heaven. Mm-hmm. And talk about not just knowing God, but knowing how much you are known. Because when God flows through another person to you, the depths of your soul are opened up and you know that God sees you. You know that God cares. You know that God wants to meet your desires and heal your hurts. He does that through another person that he gives insight and love and trust between. It's a beautiful thing. It's how God wants to touch you. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you for coming to the absolute end of this God's Love Club podcast. You've done great. We are an intrepid soul. We're so happy that you've stuck with us through the whole thing. We pray in the name of Jesus that this has done something in your spirit and opened you up to receive your own revelation from God and have him lead and guide you into all truth so that you can know him as you are known. And that's really our real intent and desired. And we are so happy that you stuck with us the whole time. You have a wonderful week. We pray in the name of Jesus that God keeps your foot from dashing against a stone, Mm -hmm. that he blesses you with love and life, and that you are a happy and joyful person in Jesus' name. This is Michael and Christy, and we'll talk to you next week on God's Love Club. Bye-bye.